Please be seated and good morning. Great to see you all. Um, for the uh, months of the bleak midwinter, we have chosen the encouraging book of Ecclesiastes, um, which you are invited to turn to now. Um, our series is called Faithful Skepticism. Faithful Skepticism, Ecclesiastes for Modern People. I think most modern people are skeptical, and rightly so. have a lot of questions about life, how it should work, and uh, questioning the claims that are made by authority figures, claims made by advertisements, uh, promises that uh, so many of them have turned out to be empty. So many people who have uh, signaled to be uh, upstanding and uh, virtuous have turned out to be uh, fraudulent and have let us down. And so we're skeptical and in many cases cynical, but that's a powerful thing of our life. We need to know how to direct our skepticism. We need to be able to direct it in the right way. And uh, the, the Koholet, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, who's, as we've seen, is a Solomon-like individual from ancient Israel, um, is going to help us. Because what he's been able to do is he's been able to direct his skepticism at everything false in this world. And what he leaves us with is the fear of God. We talked last week how he was like a chainsaw-wielding uh, ice sculpture artist, sawing away all of the, the empty, melting promises of this life to leave us with a beautiful ice sculpture, which is the fear of God. And it's a masterpiece. So this week, we're going to look at the quest for fullness, the quest for fullness, just that quest for overflow of having a life that is totally complete where you're satisfied. Um, and we're going to be looking in Ecclesiastes 1, verse, starting in verse 12 through chapter 2. So for millennia, philosophers have been asking some version of this question. It's one of the central questions of, of, of philosophy and of uh, human beings in general, and that is this question, who is well off? Who is well off? In other words, who is living the good life? Who is hashtag blessed? Um, and we all have an answer to that question. Even very young children have an answer to that question. Even if we've never verbalized it before, usually we have images in our hearts that are the answer to that question. This is what the good life would be. This is what a blessed life would be. Um, from the vantage point of a preschooler, the blessed person, the well-off person, is the person who gets to hold the shiny red balloon. And seriously, if you, if you walk into a room of preschoolers and you hand one of them a shiny red balloon, everyone's going to look at that preschooler and be like, that person is so blessed. That person is so lucky. Like, why don't I get to hold a red balloon? Um, and until you can hold a red balloon, if you're in that classroom, until you're the one who gets to hold it and call it yours and bop it around and, and tell everyone about the red balloon, you're not going to have fullness of life. You're not going to be blessed. You'll cry and scream and pray and wish for that balloon with all your heart because your heart is lacking something. There's an emptiness and a stirring and a thirst that's just not fulfilled. And then the balloon, the red balloon, the helium red balloon. Maybe the helium red balloon that says happy birthday on it, like fills the void for a time. And you put it in your room or you put it, 
you know, in the playroom. And, and then eventually it just kind of like, what happens to the balloon? It's just like, well, you kind of forget about it. And it kind of starts to leak out a little bit and just sort of get saggy and just like not as interesting three days after you get it. You're like, well, the balloon was great for a while. And then you move on to something else. And we've all, we've all done that. We've all moved on from the red balloon. We've just, we've just found a different version of it. It's a different version of the, of, of the red balloon. Something that can deliver on the good life. Like a, a red hot romance. You know? A red hot romance. Not just that. A hot romance that lasts forever. Right? Wouldn't that be nice? Or a graduate degree, or a graduate degree that's paid for. Okay, that, hey, that's even better. What about a graduate degree that's recognized in the job market? How about a good body with lots of features and no blemishes? Wouldn't that be nice? Or what about eventually a body without any aches or pains? I mean, eventually that's all we want. But what about a house? Wouldn't that be a nice red balloon? What about a furnished house? What about a clean house? Friends. You know, if I just had some good friends, that's all I need. That's really all I want at this point in life. What about fun and interesting friends? What about fun and interesting friends who don't move to another city? But a trip to Michigan, surely that's really, that's really all I need is a trip to Michigan. Or at this point in the year, a trip to Maui. How about a child? Or what about a child who's not in diapers anymore? Or what about a child who keeps in touch and says nice things about my parenting? You know, just a job. That's really the only red balloon I need at this point. I just need a job, okay? But I really need a job I love, okay? No, what I really need is a job that loves me back. Just show some respect for the work I do. Or how about a bank account? Or a bank account with a positive balance? Or what about this? What about a bank account with a growing balance? Wouldn't that be nice? It just grows on its own? Compound interest? So really, the question is this. What's the balloon and who's holding it? That's the question of who is blessed. From your vantage point, who is blessed? Who's holding that red balloon? As you scroll through other people's life experiences and get updates from your peers and pass people on the street and read books or watch movies. And as you think about like how other people live, as you think about the opportunities that other people are stepping into and the blessings that they get, like who's blessed from your vantage point at this stage of your life? Um, who's well off? Who, you know what? Who's not missing out anymore? I, I know you're missing out, but who's not? So for a time, the preacher from Ecclesiastes held a very bright, very large, very red, helium-filled balloon. And, and he tells us about it in the very beginning of the text. You can read with me in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12, and just look there and see him describe it. This was just what so many people want what so many people of his day probably wanted. And he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Jerusalem. 
Now, see, just that right there, that's what in some ways makes the whole book very, very interesting. Because this man lived an extraordinarily successful life. He, was, he wasn't just the 1%. He was like the 0.001% of um, a people in, in civilization. I mean, he was king over one of the most unique, the most beautiful, the most documented civilizations in human history. Um, he enjoyed the best things in life. And you can just imagine all the, all, the, all the young people in Jerusalem that dreamed about like, man, what would it be like to be king? You get all of the help that you need. You eat the best food. You could solve so many problems with that kind of power. You would wear the mantle of being a son of King David. I mean, what could be more special than being king over Jerusalem? I mean, he was holding the balloon. He was holding the balloon of human experience, of power, and as he says later, of money and sex. Getting all of the accolades having history write about you, having people remember you. Um, and even he doesn't even know it yet, but he's an author that people still talk about his writing 3,000 years later. Um, so um, we're going to walk through what this meant for him, and maybe there'll be some things that you relate with and can recognize from your own longings, from your own life. And he's going to have some conclusions that are going to be really helpful for us to deal with our longing for the red balloon that never seems to go away. We've got to reckon with this somehow. We need faithful skepticism if our hearts are going to be healed. So what did being king in Jerusalem mean for the preacher in Ecclesiastes? Well, first, you know what it meant? It meant winning. It just meant winning. And you know, people love a winner, don't they? Look at verse 16 of uh, chapter 1, 116. I... He's the preacher here, um, said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. You see, the preacher from ancient Israel had achieved something that so many of us want in this moment of our culture, and that is that he won in wisdom and in knowledge. Um, he wasn't just king, but he was like a, a philosopher king uh, who was sought after as a source of wisdom and insight. Um, so again, this is like a Solomon-like individual who has all of the experiences as someone who knows everything or knows everything he needs to know. He's overflowing with wisdom, overflowing with knowledge, like he's one in the field of knowledge. And this is, you know, our version of... Um, you know, frankly, social media followers, everyone who, who wants to know what you have to say, or speaking invitations, book contracts after book contract, um, PH, a PhD, all right? Uh, and not just a PhD, but a tenured position at a university. Um, interviews with media outlets like NPR, we're, we're turning to an expert here who's overflowing with wisdom and knowledge. They have something to say. They've written books on the topics, and these are all good things. Wisdom and knowledge are necessary and good. And the point was the preacher surpassed everybody. He won. He was the top of his field. Everybody wanted to be him. So he won in wisdom and knowledge. He also won in accomplishments. His track record, his CV, his, 
the, the work, all of his advancements. In chapter 2, he tells us of all he did. He said, I made, I made, I made, I made, I bought, I gathered. And his conclusion was this. This is chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9, what does he say? I became great. I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Don't forget about that. So he's surpassing people. He's breaking all of the Olympic records that came before him. He's, he's, the, best, he's the best king that, that, that has reigned in Jerusalem. Um, and, um, and he also knows everything. So you know what? It feels good to win, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel good to win? Doesn't it feel good to be recognized, to be first place, to get the blue ribbon? I remember uh, the commencement ceremony for graduate school. I remember sitting on the stage and being surrounded by my peers and um, dressed up in a robe we'd never wear again. Um, I, uh, you know, for me, being there represented a lot of hard work. And I, I worked harder in graduate school than I did in undergrad. I, I was not a star student um, by any means, but I took it seriously. Um, the faculty, I, I found out that day, I, I didn't know about this, but, but I found out that the faculty had um, decided in advance to give out two or three awards for biblical exegesis, excellence in biblical, you know, biblical interpretation. Um, they had nominated students kind of huddled behind closed doors and figured out who's been really good with Old Testament exegesis, who's been exceptional with New Testament exegesis, and what about intertextual, who's been good in that? And I remember sitting in my chair after realizing that these awards were giving out with all my other classmates, and I was just thinking to myself, like, I probably won't win, but what if I did? Man, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be kind of a nice surprise, like a nice juicy award at the end of graduate school? Like, yes, excellence in New Testament interpretation. Um, maybe. Maybe they've seen something special in my work, and it would feel so good to have my name called for excellence. Have you ever sat in a chair on a stage like that? You have a version of that in your life? Just waiting for your, for your name to be called? You won the award. You've been selected. The bosses over here, the authority figures, the leaders ha have been talking about you and they want to award you with first place. They want to award you with excellence in fill in the blank. They want to call you forward and promote you and advance you. Have you ever found yourself hoping for your name to be called? I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, but I wanted that red balloon. Do you have a red balloon that you want? You want to win in something. You know, winning carries a certain joy. Uh, and it's a very bright balloon for a lot of us. You know, the, the winning the statewide competition in fill-in-the-blank, the acceptance letter or the job offer. It feels good to get the offer, doesn't it? It feels good to hear you've been selected, you're valuable, you're good at something. Now, the preacher had been hearing messages like this all his life. His whole life he's been hearing, you win, you excel, you are first place. And he just went from success to success, and his peers are like, 
Hey, man, congratulations. I mean, you, you deserve it. Um, this past week, I heard an old clip of a 60 Minutes interview with Tom Brady. This is from 2005. Steve Croft was, was talking with Tom Brady, uh, quarterback of the New England Patriots, about what it was like to be one of the best, at that time, one of the best NFL players of all time. Not even 30 years old and, and already like considered to have made history. Three Super Bowl rings. Not even 30 years old, three Super Bowl rings. Um, and uh, here's what Tom Brady said. He's, he, he said, there's times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three su- Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. And me, I think, man, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? And Croft says, what's the answer? At that point, Tom Brady starts to choke up. And he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom Brady's been saying what the preacher was saying about his life, too, which is, he said in chapter 115, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. What is lacking cannot be counted. That phrase haunts me, what is lacking. He's saying, look, there's there's a lacking to every life. There's a deficit There's a busy, empty center to every human soul that wants to be filled with something. It's just like dark matter right at the center of your life, like a black hole. And it doesn't matter. You can throw Super Bowl rings into that. You can be the best NFL player or scholar or or consultant or, or parent of all time. And it's still going to have that vacuum sound. It's still going to want more. It won't be enough. So for the king, for the preacher, one of his red balloons was winning. But that wasn't, that wasn't his whole life experience. Another part of his life experience was, we could just call it living. Living. He didn't just win. He, he didn't just work hard. He played hard. He lived life to the full. Look at, Chapter 2, verse 1. This is the quest that this man's going to go on. He's, he's going to f- see if playing hard fills the void. And he says in his heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Better translation of that would be like joy. You know, it's not, pleasure sounds kind of, um, you know, a little bad. <laughs> This is more like gladness and fullness. It's the feeling that you get when you're, when you're like at a dinner party with the best friends of your, uh, that you've ever had, having wonderful conversation. You know that feeling where you're just like, you feel known and loved? That's what this is. I'm going to test you with joy and gladness. We could even call it pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity, meaning breath, meaning it's like vaporous, like you can't, you can't grasp it. So the preacher doesn't just want to win. He doesn't just want to work hard. He wants a baptism in delight. He wants a baptism in joy. He wants to be 
fully immersed body and soul in something good, something joyful. He wants to be transported. He wants to be transported to the highest states of delight and joy. And so first he goes to wine and discover if wine can take him there. And so he says uh, in verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the first few days of life. Now, this could be for a quest for like maybe the best kind of wine. Maybe he was a wine taster. I know uh, someone who used to work for a wine distributor, and she said, it was great. I got, like, I got to taste the best wines out there. I got to taste some great wines and develop my sense of what was good. And she's like, but the problem was that I could never go back. <laughs> I couldn't, you know, she couldn't, she, would be, she was ruined for Charles Shaw. Uh, you know, like $5 and under wines, the ones that I look for. Uh, it's like, I can't do that anymore. So maybe that was him. Maybe he just enjoyed the finest wines out there. Maybe he did want the experience of actually being drunk, like having more than one drink and really going for this experience of like intoxication. Um, But that also, some of you know, that has diminishing returns as well. Um, Maybe it was exciting for him at first. Um, Then he got the hangover. Then he got the hopelessness. The preacher was a smart man. His wisdom is guiding him the whole time, so he moves on from wine to other immersive experiences. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 8. Skip down there, chapter 2, verse 8. So what does he he gather around him? What does he baptize himself in? Well, like Scrooge McDuck, he gathers around him treasure, and he swims in it. Um, I gathered for myself silver and gold and and the treasure of kings and provinces. And so he's like an international coin collector. And, um, you know, maybe that'll fill the void, <laughs> as Jim Carrey says. And then, and then he, got, he got singers. He loved, he's, so he's a connoisseur of fine art. He got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So not just money and not just music, but, but also recreational sex. He surrounds himself with concubines and and he goes on a quest. He wants to be baptized in joy, like, just like so many people in our culture do today, which is with sexual uh, encounters. And then verse 10, he says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and there was my reward for all my toil. What is he saying? He's like, look, I worked hard, and that was fulfilling, and then I played hard. And if, you, if he had an Instagram account, it would be one meaningful experience after that. It was just like, wow, you're here, and you're over in this country, and then you had this experience, and then you were at this dinner party, and wow, I mean, you know, you win Instagram. I mean, you win life. Um, the preacher reached for and grasped for so many of the red balloons out there. Not only was he winning, but he was also living living his best life. Um, and, and, you know, maybe some of you are thinking, well, you know, I'm not that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't live that kind of a, you know, life. I don't find meaning in winning. I'm not that conceited. Um, I'm happy for other people, genuinely speaking, and I'm not out there, you know, getting drunk 
and having casual sex. Maybe you're thinking, oh, the most, the closest thing I get to immersive experiences is, you know, getting lost in a Wendell Berry novel or the occasional Taize service. Um, okay, if that's you, if that's you, check out this final last red balloon. So not only was he winning, not only was he living, he was creating. Oh, this preacher was creative. Oh, he was so creative. I mean, you can't, can't you even see it in the book of Ecclesiastes? He's, he's moving from philosophy to poetry. But this man, is a, he's a man of imagination and ingenuity. He had the power to reshape creation and recreate a natural paradise. Look in chapter 2, verse 4. Um, you know, he's not afraid to say it. I made great works. I, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. Chicago architect Daniel Burnham once said this, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood. At one point in his life, the preacher of Ecclesiastes would have given a hearty amen to those words from Daniel Burnham. I made great works, you understand? They were stunning. They were beautiful. I, I, I made no little plans. I fully intended to stir men's blood and through that, stir my own blood. We might walk behind the preacher of Ecclesiastes as he leads us through his empire. Over here is a cluster of homes sitting beautifully on a high ridge uh, in the Middle East, and it's surrounded by row after row of vineyards. Here, taste the grape yourself. The preacher surprises you with a sample of his Merlot. The texture is so smooth, the, the tannins so ripe. Just over there are the orchards that he planted, where you find cherries, nectarines, and of course, pomegranates. It's like the Garden of Eden. It's tasteful, it's abundant, it's beautiful well laid out. And then running through the middle of it all is a meticulously planned series of pools. The water comes from a, a, a waterfall roaring uh, somewhere over there, uh, and it's just flowing seamlessly into the orchards. And, and there's just an irrigation system. Not only does it functional, it's totally beautiful and masterfully designed. The magic of the preacher's creativity Oh, it stirs your blood. It, it must have taken like a lifetime to build. Lots of hard work, lots of ingenuity. Here's the rest of the Daniel Burnham quote. Make big plans. Aim high and hope and work. Remembering that a noble logical diagram once recorded will never die. But long after we are gone will be a living thing asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. What's Daniel Burnham saying? He's like, if you're creative, not only will it be meaningful now, but you'll be remembered forever through your creativity. Is that true? But think about that. Was Daniel Burnham, the architect behind our grid system, is he right? Is creativity the red balloon? Will noble plans and stunning creativity be a living thing asserting itself to generations to come? Conan O'Brien 
sat for a recent interview with Dave Itzkoff of the New York Times. And he was discussing, he's been taking a couple months off from his late night comedy on TBS, and, he's, and he was talking about it, talking about the revamped version. So after more than a decade of fame and successful creativity, Conan shared an interesting conclusion about creative work. And here's what Conan O'Brien says. He said, I had a great conversation with Albert Brooks once. When I met him for the first time, I was kind of stammering. I said, you make movies. They live on forever. I just do these late night shows. They get lost. They're never seen again. And who cares? And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? None of it matters. None of it matters? Conan said, no, said Albert Brooks. That's the secret. In 1940, people said Clark Gable is the face of the 20th century. Who thinks about Clark Gable? It doesn't matter. You'll be forgotten. I'll be forgotten. We're all forgotten. And here's what Conan said after that. He, he's reflecting on his own career. He said, at this point in my career, I could go out with a grand 21-gun salute and climb onto a rocket, and the entire Supreme Court walks out, and they jointly press a button, and I'm shot up in the air, and there's an explosion, and it's orange. In this culture... Two years later, it's going to be, who's Conan? This is going to sound grim, but eventually all our graves go unattended. That's what Conan O'Brien said. The man who's known and seen by, by tens of millions of people. All of our graves go unattended. He's currently holding the red boon of creativity. He'll be more creative than all of us combined. He'll be no, more known for his creativity, that is. And yet even he sees, this is like, this is vapor. It, it's, it's, it's breath. It's, it's, you can't grasp it. It's going away. And it will not fill the void of the human heart. And that's exactly what the preacher realized after he did all that work. He's like, you know, Sometimes a person who is toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. And he says later, even in the night, his heart does not rest. Speaking of the person who's really smart, speaking of the person who has really immersive experiences, speaking of the person who's so creative, even at night, his heart does not rest. This is also Hevel. This is also breath, vanity. All creative people will be undone. Here's what the preacher had to say about his life. At the very end of the day, the man who held every red balloon you could ever want, here's what he said. Verse 17, he says, I hated life. He says that. I, I hated life. <laughs> he says in verse 18, I hated all my toil. I hated all my toil. I hated my life, and I hated all the things that I did, all the striving under the sun. He was bitterly disappointed. The things that used to delight him now disgust him. Now, why is he doing this? Does the preacher of Ecclesiastes want to be depressed? I know some of you from last week were like, kind of, wow, Ecclesiastes is kind of depressing. The point is not to be depressing. Why is he popping all of our red balloons under the sun? Well, it's because he wants us to see the glory of God who is above the sun. And he wants us to see the gifts from that God that are right in front of us, right in front of us. 
And, and this is where there's a major turn in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2, verse 24. Chapter 2, verse 24. Look with me there and, and take this in for your own life. There is nothing better. Here's the man who held every red balloon. And here's what he has to say to you and I. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat, okay, and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. It's not from winning. It's not for being the best. It's, it's not from baptizing yourself in immersive experiences or being creative. It's from the hand of God. It's a gift. You know what? When I was on that graduate school stage, when I was sitting there with a fixation on the red balloon of an award, you know what I was missing? You know what I was missing, friends? I was missing all the gifts that were right there. I, I mean, I, I had the gift of, of two years of, of a great education in studying the Bible. But with these professors that, that really invested in me and mentored me and challenged me, I was surrounded by, I could, you know, I could have been lonely in that degree. I wasn't. I had all these colleagues that, that spurred me on and we suffered together in the reference section of the library together for two years, and that was a gift. And, and I had the gift of my supportive and loving wife who was there and my parents who were there, my in-laws who were there cheering me on. The, the, the party that we went to, we didn't have any kids yet. We had a cat. I had a cat. That was one of the blessings from the God who was above the sun. There's just so many. When you start counting, you, get, you, you forget about this, the red balloons that are always right in front of you. They're really just a phantom. And you miss all the gifts from God who is above who's above the sun, the gifts are right there. The gifts are right there. What are the gifts that God's given you that you have, that you can just enjoy? When you stop fixating on gain, what are the gifts that you're left with under the sun? Here's a good question for all of us. It's a question that we need to hear. Verse 25 of chapter 2 Apart from him, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? How are we going to savor all of the gifts that are right in front of us? We actually need the presence of God, who is closer than a breath. Listen, God wants us to overflow with joy and life, not just with the gifts he surrounds us with. He wants us to overflow with his presence presence, to overflow with his love, um, to go from thirsty to being an actual fountain. And that is the longing that is underneath all of the longings. Who is well off? Who is hashtag blessed? This is what Jesus said. This is how Jesus answered that question. On the last day of the feast, our gospel reading says, on the last day of the feast, on the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, he didn't just mumble it, okay? He cried out, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit. What is Jesus offering us? What is he saying? He's offering us fullness. He's offering us enoughness. He's offering us satisfaction, and this is not just a head game. This is a promise, and he can do it. Listen, Jesus can give you his spirit. You can overflow with the power of the spirit. 
not just the power of the Spirit, the satisfaction of the Spirit. You can be satisfied in God. And what he's given you can be enough. He can turn the deep void, the dark matter at the center of your existence. He can turn that place. He can not just satisfy you. He can turn that place into a fountain of living water where you overflow and you almost have to tell him to stop. You almost have to tell him to stop. What does he do? He's getting us ready for eternity. He's getting us ready for the time when our desires will be met to overflow. If you and I tasted just a speck of eternity right now, it would blow us away. It would ruin us forever. And it has ruined some people who have had some kind of a brush with the presence of the holiness of God. They were like, it was too much. I couldn't handle it. It was too bright. It was too full. It was too satisfying. We're getting ready for that by being satisfied now to overflow. Here's what one thinker had to say about how we manage this tension in the meantime, and this will be our final, final thought for the day. He says this, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. I must take care to not despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings of my life. On the other hand, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a copy, of which they are only a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and help others do the same. And that's where the preacher of Ecclesiastes is going to leave us. He wants to point us in the direction of eternity. As he says in chapter 3, God has put eternity in people's hearts. And that's why the things of this life will not satisfy. So let us pray for the grace to overflow with the thankfulness of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we all have these things in life that seem from the outside like satisfying baptisms in joy. And yet we know, Lord, from Ecclesiastes, we're skeptical enough to know that that's not true. So we pray, Lord, for the grace to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and for the grace out of the overflow to be thankful for all the gifts that you have put right in front of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.